All right, we're going to start off this morning with a little audience participation. Okay, you ready for this? This is what I need you to do. I need everyone to raise your right hand. Not this one. This is the left. Raise, raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. There we go. Guess what? You're all out. Because Simon didn't say to raise your right hand. Although some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. You ain't getting me. That's actually not the Simon we're talking about today. Uh, everyone, it's okay. You can, you can stay. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about Simon Peter, the disciple. Now, in Matthew 14, there's a story, rather, and it's Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000, and he goes off to pray by himself. And so he sends the disciples on ahead. They get on a boat. They're out headed to their next destination, and a storm comes, and they're starting to be scared. And now all of a sudden, they're not only scared by the storm, but they see somebody walking on the water, like, uh-oh, what's going on here? And they're afraid. Not sure what it is. Maybe it's a ghost. And then Jesus calls out and says, don't be afraid. It's just me. So then Peter, what's he do? He says, okay, if it is you, Jesus, prove it. Call me out on the water as well. And I don't know that Peter expected him to do this, but Jesus said, well, come on in. Come on out. So as far as I know, outside of Jesus, Peter is the only person to ever walk on water. He was the only disciple that day that decided to get out of the boat. So the question that I want to pose for us today is, do you trust God enough to get out of the boat? See, God isn't necessarily looking for us to walk on water. He is looking for us to be willing to get out of the boat. There's no need for us to stress about the impossible task of walking on water. That's God's part. Our part is the obedience of getting out. In your outline is this question, and I wanted to pose it to us today. Are you willing to be uncomfortable so that you can be a part of the unbelievable? What barriers are keeping you on the boat? What barriers are you keeping you on the sidelines? And better yet, what is it that's corroding your faith? If you have your outline you want to follow along, we're going to go run through some of the things that I think things that corrode our faith. And one of those things is doubt. There are times that we don't get off the boat because we don't believe in the power of Jesus. There's times that we come in contact with the unimaginable, like Jesus walking on the water. And in those moments, we then have to choose. Are we going to believe in an amazing God that, that is, uh, has the power to do the impossible or are we going to shut off our minds and just try to explain away the mystery? Sometimes I think what we know keeps us from believing what we don't understand. And sometimes what we know limits what we think God is capable of. This then limits our prayer life and it limits our faith. And why would we ask God to do something if we don't believe that he can? What unbelief has kept you from seeing God work miracles in and through you? Next is simply just distraction. There are times that we don't get off the boat, maybe because we don't even hear his invitation. If you look at the things that distracted Peter, the thing that kept, that, that caused him to, to take his eyes off Jesus, it was the wind and the waves. And what happens when Peter does that? He sinks. What in your life 
is causing you to lose sight of Jesus? What is distracting you from your pursuit of Jesus? Are there people in your life that are pulling you away from God? Is there sin or temptation that distracts you from your journey, journey towards holiness? Next thing is expectation. There are times that we don't get off the boat because it's not what we're expecting Jesus to ask us, or we just simply don't know that he's expecting us to. We miss out on what God's doing because he doesn't act or he doesn't answer our prayers in the way in which we want him to. Like Jonah, he doesn't send us to minister to the people that we want him to send us to. You know, all the disciples were there that day, and I have a hard time believing that Peter was the only one that had faith. But none of the other disciples thought to ask, hey, can I come out there too? How many of us have been held back by our own expectations for ourselves and not done the unbelievable because we were, just didn't think to ask? The next is, is simple, and that is just borrowed faith. There are times that we don't get off the boat because we're only on the boat because of a friend or maybe a parent. And you're simply not going to risk your life in a storm because somebody you know knows Jesus. Faith that's not your own, faith that's not personal never lasts. And then finally, fear. And if you really want to, you can write next to that anxiety because they kind of come hand in hand. Are there times that we don't get out of the boat simply because we're just too afraid? We're afraid to drown, afraid of the storm, afraid of failure, afraid of what could be. That inner voice that tells us that the risk does not outweigh the reward. That hesitation that keeps us silent when we shouldn't be. That fear of the awkward or the uncomfortable. But we've got to understand to overcome that which keeps us in the boat, we need faith and courage. And I was thinking as I'm, as I'm writing this sermon, I'm thinking, but wait a second, what if I don't got any of those? What if I don't have faith? What if I don't have courage? What, what can I do? How can I build a faith that gives me the courage to get out of the boat? And that's what we're going to focus on today. If you have your outline, you can follow along. This is the first piece of this. I think that we've got to learn to cling to God's past faithfulness. Cling to God's past faithfulness. In Daniel 3, there's a story of three courageous men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you grew up like me watching Veggie Tales, you know them better as Rackshack and Benny. But to basically recap their story here for a second, there's three guys that are taken from their hometown. They're Jewish men that are caused to live in Persia. And the king in Persia, he, he makes this big gold statue of himself, and he said, I want all of you to worship it, to worship me. And these three guys are like, listen, man, we come from a different place, and we don't worship you. We only worship God, and we're not going to worship you. And he says, okay, if you're not going to worship me, you see this furnace over here? I'm going to throw you in it. And this is their response. I love this. this is Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into that blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or never worship the gold statue that you have set up. I, I, I love this. He comes, he comes at this angle. He says, we, we don't even need to defend ourselves from you. 
Because our God will defend us. And, and our God will defend us because we believe that our God is able, able to save us. They believed that the furnace would not get the final word. So what caused them to speak so boldly of God? What was it in their life that cultivated that faith? Because these statements that these men make are statements of experience. They'd experienced God's faithfulness before. In Daniel 1, they're asked to do something again. They're asked to, to not eat, I mean, to eat meat and, and meat that's unclean. And they, they choose to continue to honor God's law in another land, even when their laws aren't there. Because of their faithfulness, God honored them in a foreign land, gave them position and power. See, they had experienced firsthand what it's like to be faithful to God. They knew that if they were faithful to God, that he would be faithful in return. I grew up in Florida, and I lived pretty close to the ocean. And this might uh, come as a shock to you, but I don't swim in the ocean. Right? You know I don't swim in the ocean? Because there's sharks in the ocean. And maybe you're sitting there today, you're thinking, Pastor Will, do you realize the percentage, the chance of you being bit by a shark? But listen, let me say something. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like my limbs. Right? And maybe you, you, today you want to get spiritual on me and you're like, well, Pastor Will. What fear do you need to have of what's in the water when, like Jesus, we walk on top of the water? You listen, y'all ain't seen Jaws. The shark will come out of the water and eat you and then smile at you, right? I don't, I don't play with that, right? I'm, I'm not even going to mess with it. And I think that this is part of why Jesus says you must have faith like a child. Because when I was a kid, I'd get into the ocean. Because I thought that reward was greater than the risk. See, when you're a child, you'll risk the uncomfortable for the unbelievable. And for me, that was boogie boarding. I loved to do that. I wasn't balanced enough to surf, so I had to do the, the thing that you just laid on your belly and the waves took you, right? But it was so much fun. But what you learn about the waves is that if you're not careful, you can end up a half mile down the beach before you even know it. So my parents taught me a, a something. So they, we, we'd go to the beach and we, you know, we'd set up like our little area, put our towels and whatnot. And that was like our, our little piece of the beach that we we're going to be on. And so they'd make me stand in front of that, look back towards the city and find the biggest, tallest building that was close to us. So even if I got into the water and got dragged a half mile or a mile down the beach, I could look up, find the building, and I could find my way back. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They remembered God's past faithfulness. And they said they found their path back to being faithful again. They said, wait a second. Remember in Daniel 1, God was faithful to us? Ah, see, I know that he's going to be faithful to me again because he's asked us not to do this. This is, this is what we're talking about. This is why they were so bold. They remembered and clung to their past memories of God's faithfulness. So my question for you today is, where has God been faithful to you in your past? I think one of the things that I've really appreciated about, about this year and the, the, the theme that we've had, uh, finding your verse. I have like five or six verses that could probably be life verses. They've been landmarks to me. They've been verses that regardless of how I feel and when I've went, uh, just gone through these moments of darkness or whatever, I have those verses to go back and cling to because I remember, even though I feel this way today, I remember back in the day when I first read this verse and I remember that God was faithful to me even in some of the darkest moments of my life.
And so I cling to those verses, each being a landmark of God reminding. Now, I'm going to pull something out of this bag, okay? And it's, it's going to be a head, but it's not a human head, okay? I don't want to freak anybody out, all right? This right here is my friend Jolly Green, right? So those of you that have been to my office, you've seen Jolly Green before. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Will, why do you have the head of a giant in your office? Well, let me tell you. So I worked at Chick-fil-A when I was 16 years old. And for the first little while that I worked there, I didn't really have a ton of friends. But there was this guy that came and started working and we got to be really close. And we didn't like to work, right? So we would take like long trash runs. We're like, hey, we got to take the trash out. And we'd be gone for like an hour. Yeah. Nobody's ever done that. Don't look at me like that. And so we were going on a trash run and we found this thing. It was like eight foot tall. Found it in the trash, and we're thinking, who in the world would throw something like this away? So what did we do? We dug it out of the trash, and we kept it. So eventually, obviously, I went off to college, and, and we parted our friendship kind of just because of distance. So he kept the body, and I kept the head. So I, I, don't, know who got, I don't know who got the better deal there. But I've kept the head of the Jolly Green Giant for 16 years. Can I tell you that I have not kept this because it's cool. I've kept it because it reminds me of a friendship that I once had. And it's so meaningful to me. It's just a piece of styrofoam. But it reminds me of a time when God was faithful to me and brought a friendship in my life. And that's what I want you to think about today. What are those moments? What are those things in your life that you can cling to and remember when God has been faithful to you? What are those landmarks? Is it a verse for you? Maybe it's a photo, maybe it's a gift, maybe a, a painting, a memento, a, a memory. Maybe it's an event at a camp or a convention, or maybe it's a conversation you have with somebody else. Anything that helps you remember God's past faithfulness. And even if you can't think of any of those landmarks today, I just want to share with you one that we all have together. The greatest landmark of God's past faithfulness, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So regardless of how you feel in your life and whatever you face, we can always look to the cross and remember how much our Savior loved us. Remember how valuable he thought we were. Let us too, like these courageous men in Daniel, hold fast to God's faithfulness. May it give us the courage to get out of the boat, to walk on water. Even when we feel the heat of the furnace, may we remember the cross. When you feel the heat, cling to God's past faithfulness. The next piece of this is I think we've got to learn to trust God's plan for us. Trust his plan for you. Trusting that if Jesus asks us to get out of the boat, this idea that we believe that he's not just going to let us drown. So I have a picture I want to show you. I, I built Malin a bunk bed. You see it there. And the other day, Malin decided that she wanted the whole family to get on top of the bunk bed, right? So I'm up on the bunk bed, Malin's on the bunk bed, the dog's on the bunk bed, and Stephanie's on her way up, and she looks at me, and she has the audacity to ask me, hey, is this thing going to hold us? And I'm like, really? Come on now, I built this thing. Of course it's going to hold. And then in my head, I'm thinking, we about to find out. Right? Me and Stephanie may have thought that. Never for a second did Malin think that. Never for a second did she doubt that what I built would hold her up. Never for a second as her father, she thought that I would never build something that wouldn't be 100% safe for her. 
That's exactly why we should trust God, our Father. See, Jeremiah tells us, he says, I have a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, not a plan to drown you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if God calls you out or sends you somewhere that he's not going to let you drown? We need to trust that if God asks us, that if he places us somewhere, that he will see us through, that he will be faithful to bring to completion that which he started in us. The book of Esther tells a story about a Jewish girl that becomes queen at a really important time. Uh, the, the king had kind of gotten frustrated with his wife, so she got the boot. And so he's looking for a new wife, right? So he has this beauty contest, and Esther wins this contest. Obviously, she must be the most beautiful. So she wins this contest, and then there's this guy that, that works for the king. His name is Haman, and he's, he's kind of a jerk. And he just decides that he doesn't like Jewish people. In fact, he wants to get rid of them all. So he convinces the king. He says, man, these people aren't good people. He said they're stealing jobs, they're dirty, they're disgusting. Whatever he does to convince the king to say all these things that probably aren't even true. And so the king signs his edict and said, yeah, go ahead and wipe him out. So then this guy named Mordecai, who happens to be Esther's cousin slash uncle, kind of the guy that raised her, right? He goes to Esther and he says, you have to do something about this. You can go and petition to the king. And Esther's like, you're crazy, If I go before the king, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to end up dead. And so she says no. So then Mordecai petitions again. And this is what he says. I love this. This is Esther 4, 14. He says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, Mordecai helps Esther understand something, that maybe this was God's plan from the beginning, that maybe God blessed her with beauty and opportunity for this very reason. So it's no longer Mordecai asking Esther to stand up in her own power, but it's God revealing that he had a plan to place her here in the second, at the beginning for a reason. And she makes this transition of faith from self to faith in God and faith in his plan. And that this this truth changes her from the answer of no to not only am I going to go, but if I perish, I perish. See, God never promised that getting off the boat was going to come without risk. In fact, it seems that in order to get off the boat, you got to be ready to die. And maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, those who cling to life will lose it. Those who cling to the boat, they'll lose their life. But those who are willing to get off, those who are willing to let go, they are going to find their life. They're going to find what Esther found, that everything that we've been given, every gift, every talent, every position, every opportunity was given for a reason, with a plan in mind. This idea that we are blessed for a reason, blessed to bless, blessed to give, blessed to share, blessed to love. That all of us are born with some type of privilege. So how are we using that privilege to help the people around us? What is it that you've been given? How could you use it for God's kingdom? Where might God be calling you to serve? How might God be calling you to love your neighbors? In Matthew 25, there's recorded the, the parable of the talents. And there's three men and they're given different amounts of money. And this master that gives them money says, go off and, and, and make more. And so the guy that's given five makes more. The guy that's given two makes more. But the guy that's given one goes and buries it. 
And the master comes back and said, you wicked servant. And when I was taught this parable as a child, I always thought it was about success. In fact, I had pity for this guy because this seemed like a good idea to me, right? Like I would be so afraid of risking the master's money that it seems better to go back with what he gave you than to go back with nothing. But then I realized that this parable is not about success. It's, it's about faithfulness. It's not about money. It's about souls. The man who buried his talent is not wicked because he wasn't successful. He's wicked because he refused to share what God had given him. He refused to share what the master has blessed him with. So about two years ago, I'm, I'm driving back to work from lunch and I see a homeless guy crossing the street and he's got no shoes on. And so I'm thinking, okay, I need to go, I need to go talk to this guy. And I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to find this guy, right? And I'm going to ask him what size shoe he wears. And I said, if he wears the same size shoe I do, I will take my shoes off right now and give them to him. So I, I, I pull into this place. I find him. I find him in a parking lot. I, I roll my window down, right? And I ask, I said, hey, man, I see you got no shoes on. What size shoe you wear? Guess what he says? He says, my size. He says, size 12. And I'm like, oh. And I look, I look down at my shoes, right? And I'm like, I like these shoes. And I took them off and I, and I handed them to him. And I didn't have really the right attitude, I don't think. And I'm driving away and this image flashed in my head of my closet with all the other pair of shoes I have. And I just kind of broke down. This, this is the point that God has blessed me so that I can bless somebody else. We've been called to reciprocate that blessing, whether it's monetary, whether it's talent, whether it's time, whether it's influence, to give back richly to others because God has given richly to me. See, it's not our job to walk on water. It's not our job to save people, but it is our job to get off the boat. It is our job to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the Jesus that people can see. It's our job to love and serve people, even those we, we see as our enemies, even those we don't like, even those we disagree with. God has called us to bless others, to trust in his plan, to give back with what he's given us. The last piece I just want to share is take the first step off the boat. Psalm 23, 4 says this. This is from the voice says, even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments, near with your protection and guidance, and I am comforted. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It doesn't mean that I don't have fear. What does it say? It says, I'm not overcome by that fear. I'm not comforted, not because there's nothing scary. I'm not comforted because things are going my way. I'm comforted because the Savior of the world is with me, that Jesus is close, that he's by my side. I wrote this in your outline. If we're going to take that first step off the boat, that first step might put you closer to danger, but at the same time, it also puts us closer to Jesus. Daniel 6, there's a story about Daniel who is forced into the lion's den. And basically, Daniel comes to a position of power in Persia. And he gets this position mostly because he can interpret the king's dreams. And what can, they, what can anybody do to compete with that? Nobody else can compete with that. So what do they do? They got to get rid of him. And so they look for something to find against Daniel. And the only thing they can find against Daniel is that he prays to a God that's not the king. 
And so they set up they did the same basic thing that we've been hearing about today. They, they go to the king. They said, you don't want other people worshiping other gods. So set up this law and, and anybody that prays to another god, they should be thrown into the lion's den. Right? So they made it illegal to pray and worship God. And this is Daniel's response. I love this. Daniel 6.10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had, be, had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel didn't let the fear of the future get in the way of his relationship with God. He doesn't just get out the, bur- get out the boat. He burns that sucker down. He walked up to the windows, opened them, and said, you're not going to get in my way of praising. You're not going to get in my way of praying. You're not going to ruin my relationship with God. You're going to have to kill me, right? And they, they try to do that. He's arrested. He's thrown into the lion's den. And God sends an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. And there's something really interesting that I noticed when I was reading this story. Not once. I, I, I had always grown up with this idea, uh, maybe just from as a kid, that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, that, that he just sat on his knees the whole night and prayed. And that's what rescued him. And I'm sitting there reading this, and not one time in Scripture does it say that Daniel prayed while he was in the lion's den. And I'm just thinking about this and thinking about this, and and does this mean anything? And then I felt a whisper, almost like it was God's voice saying, he didn't need to pray. He had already prayed three times that day. He wasn't saved because of a prayer. He was saved because of his faithfulness. He was saved because of his relationship with me. He stepped off the boat, and I reached down and grabbed him and picked him up. Saved by a relationship. See, he wasn't afraid to take the first step because he knew where it led. He knew that it took him one step closer to God, one step closer to God's love, closer to his faithfulness, to his provision, to his promise, to his guidance, to his peace, to his power, to his joy. Where have you been afraid to take the first step? I'm going to ask Rachel if she'll come. And in a moment, she's going to sing. I've always wanted to write a book. I started like three or four different books, all of which I didn't get very far because probably they were terrible. And Pastor Steve kind of inspired me. I started writing my own devotions in October and tried to do them uh, I can't do them every day like he does, but I try to do them for every weekday. And I just really felt like God laid it on my heart that maybe, maybe, I, need, maybe I need to put it in a book and, and see where it leads me. And so I, I started making all these contacts. And my mom's kind of been in the publishing world for a little bit. Uh, she, she has her own book. And, and so I was, like, I was talking to her. And, but, you know, it's like, can you take your mom's advice that seriously? Like... She loves me too much, to be honest with me. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get some of her contacts, and I'm, I'm, I'm contacting some other people. And, and what I'm wanting to hear is I'm wanting, I'm wanting for someone to tell me, yes, you're good enough. You should pursue this, right? And so I'm talking with a guy last week uh, in Westbow Publishing, and I'm talking to him about it, and he's kind of asking me that same thing, like, like, what are you looking for? And I kind of explained that to him, and he said something to me that I don't know that I'll ever forget. He said, if you believe that God has given you the desire and the ability to do this, why does it matter what anybody else thinks? 
And, and what am I teaching my daughter if I'm too afraid to try? If I'm too afraid to get off the boat? And that's kind of something that, that I've been going through lately, but what is it for you? Where is your doubt? Where is your fear kept you on the boat? Where has fear stunted your spiritual growth? What, what fear of failure has kept you from trying? What things have kept you from sharing your testimony? What things have you not tried because you didn't think you were smart enough? What decisions have you made based off of finances instead of faith? Where have you been lonely because you refused to ask for help? Where has your comfort kept you from stepping into the unknown? Where has your self-doubt kept you from speaking up? Has your doubt kept you from seeing where God has already provided for you? Where has your fear of being real and honest hindered your relationships? Where has your fear of obeying kept you from a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't mind, I ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray over us as Rachel begins to, to sing this song. But I just wonder, I got a feeling I'm not the only one here today that needs this prayer. That I'm not the only one who needs more faith. That I'm not the only one that needs more courage. That I'm not the only one that needs help getting off the boat. If you feel like that's you today, if you feel like you need more faith, if you need more courage, if you need that extra push to get off the boat, would you just slip up your hand real quick? If you feel like that's you, thank you, thank you. Let me pray for us today. Father God, this world is scary. You know, we look at your scripture and you never promised that it wouldn't be. You never promised that we wouldn't have trials, that we wouldn't have temptations, that we wouldn't have frustrations, that sometimes there would be times where things just look horrible. That there wouldn't be times where it just felt hopeless. But there is one thing you did promise. You promised that you would never leave. You promised that you would never forsake. You promised that regardless of how many times we screw up, how many times we're too afraid to get out of the boat that you wouldn't abandon us. And we cling to that today. And we need more faith. I think of that, the guy that, that begged for more faith. That's where we are today. Father God, we don't have it, we need it. Father God, we need more courage today. Courage to be your people. Courage to love people courage to be that blessing, courage to trust in your plan, courage to take that first step. Lord, I just pray for everyone in here, and especially those that raise their hand today. Lord, they're thinking about something specific of where they need faith, courage, where they need you to show up. And I pray, Father God, today on their behalf that you would intercede in a tangible way this week. And I pray believing that, 
that you are going to move. I pray believing that when you hear us, you act. But I ask, Lord, that you would give us vision to be able to see what you're doing. We love you. We praise you. In your holy name, amen.